0: Welcome to Wind Up Weekly.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: And I'm Katie Canfield.
1: And we're here to share the week's news and wine.
0: This week on Wind Up Weekly. Coronavirus latest. Nearly 16,000 U.S. restaurants have closed, but off-premise sales are up 27%. South Africans protesting alcohol ban in the country. Volume of Prosecco 2020 vintage to be reduced. And Pernod Ricard more optimistic about 2020 sales figures.
1: More on Pernod Ricard. Who have also invested in a Mezcal brand.
0: Champagne Tatagé's English winery gets approval.
1: And as ever, our wine of the week.
0: So before we get to the news, our week in wine, and... I was quite fortunate to see some faces that I haven't seen in person in quite some time. Uh, social distancing, of course, uh, we met up. Are the organizers of Batonage of this year's Batonage, uh, Rebecca Johnson and Ella Wengi, and I. We got together in the back courtyard of our office uh, to do a cheers to what we thought was a very successful uh, 2020 Batonage Connect. So, we drank some very nice beverages, uh, one of which was um, from Maker. And so this is a canned wine. The brand is a brainchild of Kendra Kawala and Sarah Hoffman, who was one of our speakers for Batinage. And they're both Stanford Business School graduates. And they decided, you know, they wanted to start this new sort of business plan. So what they do is they get together with local winemakers, and they take a Portion of the wine that they produce and put it in cans and do some really nice marketing. The branding is great. The packaging looks impeccable. And in each box of you know of that they deliver, you get a, a card about the producer and it explains who they are and what they're all about. And so, you know, I've never been on the canned wine train, but these are actually really good. And the one of my favorites was a Chenin Blanc, um, but they do a Viognier, Rosé, they do a Cab, they do a sparkling Sauvignon Blanc that's really popular. So I encourage you to check them out. They're available online, not to our international audience, unfortunately, but hopefully someday soon.
1: I love that packaging. It's done done very, very well. And Wine isn't just about packaging, it's not just about the superficial appearance, there has to be substance behind it. But if you can get people um, attracted to your product through good packaging and good branding, then you get, it's going to be a lot easier to sell it. And they seem to be doing uh, very well. Uh, good news for me, I finally got my license to sell alcohol, arrived in the post on Thursday and obviously very excited this has been a project which has been in the works for a while and it's it's, a, it's going to be an online wine club so every month members of the club get three wines specially chosen for me and there are different club options you can find them on my website it's called blackpool mats wine club so blackpoolmatswineclub.com just available here in the states and these are going to be really Cool um, individual wines, not just the wines you find everywhere in the supermarket or even in a lot of retail stores.
0: And you can follow him uh, on Instagram at Blackpool Maps Wine Club. Um, there's some fun videos and things to give you a little more information about each club. So just a little shameless self promotion there, excuse us.
1: If you want to know more, not only visit my website, but go to Instagram as well and I explain everything that's on offer. It should be a lot of
0: fun. And now, on with the news. In the U.S., this week it was reported that 15,770 restaurants have permanently closed since March across the country. The highest number of closures is here in California, accounting for 14.4%, followed by Texas and New York. The figures were recorded by Yelp, who predict more permanent closures as the coronavirus continues to wreak havoc in the U.S. However, temporary closures are beginning to decrease, which shows some promise for the future.
1: In related news, it was estimated that the California wine industry could lose up to $4.2 billion this year and cost the overall California economy $9.6 billion. Despite a brief reopening in June, most winery, tasting rooms and restaurants remain closed due to the enforced ban on indoor dining and drinking until at least the 30th of July and probably longer. However, off-premise and direct-to-consumer sales have risen by 27.6% since the lockdown began in March, and there has also been an 11% increase in wine purchases in US households, which helps balance the fall in tasting room and restaurant sales.
0: Just balances. And as the pod reported last week, in South Africa, a ban on sales of alcohol was reintroduced to much controversy. On Wednesday, restaurant and winery workers took to the streets to protest the ban, arguing that it would cause many jobs to be lost, as well as damage to the economy. Ross Sleet, owner of Rascallion Wines, protested in Stellenbosch, commenting on the ban that if you take a sane, rational view, we completely understand it but it's a sledgehammer to crack a walnut. He added that more than one million jobs were on the line due to the prohibition.
1: Tough tough times for South African uh, winemakers. They are still allowed to export wine, but it's very difficult to just get the wine exported. And without that domestic market, they're really struggling. So support South African wine when you can. Meanwhile, in Italy, Prosecco producers have agreed to reduce yields this year to ensure that there isn't an oversupply in the midst of lockdown and um, economic crisis. The 100 plus members of the Consorzio voted by an overwhelming majority to reduce the permitted yield to 120 hectolitres per hectare, instead of 135 hectolitres per hectare. I have to admit I didn't realise yields in Prosecco were so high. That's some of the highest regulations I've seen.
0: Really? I knew that.
1: I'm sure you did, Katie. You are studying Italian wine right now. That's true. These reduced yields will help producers prepare for potential lower demand in forthcoming years in an already saturated market. The aim is to consolidate Prosecco's position in the market, rather than expanding it beyond its capabilities. Probably good news in terms of quality.
0: Yes, perhaps now more than ever, with restaurants closed and you know cheap Prosecco by the glass, not as um, in demand, maybe it is a good time to shoot for that high quality. To summarise the unpredictable, up-and-down nature of the drinks business right now, Global giant Pernod Ricard have revised their forecast for 2020 from a 20% fall to a 15% fall in sales. Kind of good news, kind of not. Their forecasts made in March for a downturn in China and in travel retail have proven accurate, That the off-premise trade in the U.S. and Western Europe has been better than they had expected. They now believe the global lockdowns will not affect performance as much as they had feared. Remy Contro posted figures that also reflected the better than expected forecast. From March to June 2020, the company had sales of 150 million euros, a decrease of 33.2% on 2019. It had predicted a decrease of 50 to 55%.
1: So in all, it's still quite bad news. These are pretty um, drastic decreases on last year, but at the same time, not as bad as these companies had been fearing. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months if the economies um, get going again and people get drinking again, or whether um, it's still going to be very a very slow um, recovery.
0: Well, Europe and the UK seems to be well ahead of the US in that respect, so hopefully they continue to improve.
1: Right, the US is um, not dealing with this very well at all. Certain states are beginning to realise it is quite serious and they have to try and deal with the crisis. Unfortunately, um, Spain is seeing uh, cases reappear as well and has been kind of returned to some quarantine, I think in Catalonia in particular, so we're certainly not out of the woods. <coughs>
0: More from Pernod Ricard, the company continues to invest in Mezcal and promote its Transform and Accelerate plan, which they launched two years ago, a plan which, quote, focuses on investing in long-term profitable growth. A sound plan right now. In 2017, Pernod Ricard acquired Del Maguey, the producer who kickstarted the Mezcal revolution in the early 1990s with a focus on single village labels. They have now invested in Ojo de Libre, a Mezcal brand which was launched in just 2018 by Casa Lumbre, who also make the Ancho Reyes liqueur. Ojo de Libre is made from the Tobala and Espadin agave varieties and is made as both a joven and reposado. The amount of Pernod Ricard's investment wasn't revealed, but it certainly indicates a desire to broaden the brand's market. This isn't Pernod Ricard's only foray into the market this year, as the company have also invested in Kyoto Distillery in Japan, an Italian bergamot-infused aperitivo called Italicus, and they've purchased German gin, Monkey 47.
1: Well, this news indicates um, not only that Pernod Ricard are really interested in investing in quality products around the world, but also the popularity of Mezcal, which probably 10 years ago was really dismissed as um, kind of a dangerous drink and quite cheap and not very good. But now it's considered one of the finest spirits in the world. And we certainly love Mezcal, so we understand why Pernod Ricard would invest. We've actually had some really good Mezcal recently. I've got a couple of bottles in front of us, which we've tried. One is called Nacional and it's made from the Cereal Agave, and that's one of the things that producers have really been keen on experimenting with, all the different agaves which can be used for mezcal, because tequila can only be made from one agave, but mezcal can be made from lots. And then there's another one called Cinco Sentidos,
0: Yes, and this one's particularly special because it's a pechuga de papalote. So pechuga refers to the fact that the mezcal is redistilled with a raw chicken and other local nuts and fruits. Um, but it really is a speciality um, among mezcal producers.
1: Yeah, it sounds ridiculous, isn't it, that you're distilling something with a raw chicken? And certainly not one for the vegetarians, it has to be said. But it is absolutely delicious because it gives it that really kind of smoky quality to it and just gives it an extra texture. And we really, really liked it. I've never been to Mexico or Mezcal country, but you, Katie, have. You were there about 18 months ago.
0: Yes, I was there in January of 2019, and I visited two uh, Mezcal producers of note, Mezcal Vago and Mezcaleria Ambulante. And one, you know, in my conversations with both producers, uh, this came up, the, you know, the trend of investment and, you know, Pernod Ricard with Del Maguey in 2017, Diageo and Pierre de Almas in 2018, and Bacardi with a minority stake in Illegal in 2017. So there were, you know, a lot of mergers at that point, and they're clearly continuing. And I think from their point of view, you know, they said that it was important because that just sort of offered funding for these companies to continue the relationships with the mezcaleros, with the producers, and then those people that go and sell them in export markets. It's always, you know, it's an optimistic view of the world to say that these companies will remain the same once they're um, absorbed by these or once they're partnered with these larger corporations. But... In effect, it was something like this, Mezcal, it's, you know, the production can't be any greater than it is because the plants, the agave, they take forever to grow. And it is a, a very finite amount that they can produce uh, of this quality. So maybe it's a good thing in the long run.
1: Yep, it's a fascinating business. One that's gone from being very small and artisanal to something that's been uh, drunk globally. And um, not only did you visit Mexico, Katie, but you actually wrote about your trip for an article for the buyer. So I certainly recommend uh, checking that out to learn about more about mezcal and what's happening there.
0: Yeah, we can link that article in the description of the pod.
1: It seems to have been a long time coming, but champagne producer Tatin investment in England is finally becoming a reality. The winery, called Domaine Everymond, is a joint venture between Tassenjay and their UK importer, Hatch Mansfield, and it's located in Kent, in southern England. It was announced that the winery has received planning permission to build a two-floor, 1,400-square-metre winery and visitor centre, two-thirds of which will be below ground. The plans were approved after they were adapted to incorporate a chalk grassland roof to fit in with the local surroundings. The winery will be capable of producing 400,000 bottles a year, It's estimated that it will take 16 months to complete the project, although the starting date has not been confirmed. Tatinjay bought the property, a former fruit farm, back in 2015, and the first plantings were made in 2017, with more plantings last year and this year bringing the total to 45 hectares.
0: Well, this is interesting news because, Matthew, you told me the only reason to go to Kent is to get to France, but I suppose now there's a reason to stop there. And as for the underground cellars, I remember touring Champagne Tatinje, uh, and, you know, most of their tour uh, took place underground in their cellars. So makes sense that they would do the same in Kent.
1: Yeah, bringing their expertise to English sparkling wine. And certainly England can can learn a lot from the, the Champenois producers. And I think quality there is going to get higher and higher. And next time we're in the UK, we'll have to make a, a trip there to see some of these wineries. And Tatinje's winery is actually very close to Ashford, where I think you can get the Eurostar to France, so you can just hop on the train and get to Champagne as well.
0: You're talking planes, trains, all those things that are probably in our very far future, but I guess we can always hope.
1: We can, and it's going to take them 16 months to build the winery, so hopefully in 16 months time we can be there for the opening.
0: Cheers to that.
1: And now for a wine of the week, Katie, which is...
0: Boehrer Zweigelt Württemberg, 2017.
1: That all sounds very German.
0: It does indeed, and it's quite unusual, uh, because Zweigelt is Austria's most planted black grape variety, uh, but this one comes from Germany, and one of ge- from one of Germany's rarely seen wine regions, Württemberg. So the winemaker is Jochen Boira, a biodynamic producer who is really putting the historic region back on the map. He's an ex-BMX European champion. Somehow that seems to naturally fit with a German winemaker, much like the surfers of uh, Margaret River in Australia, I suppose. He makes phenomenal Riesling, as well as working with Grauburgunder, Sauvignon Blanc, Trollinger, Lemberger, which is Blaufrankisch, and Pinot Noir. He's located in Remstahl, just outside of Stuttgart, which is the only area in Germany where Zweigelt is planted. So no surprise that we've never had a German Zweigelt before.
1: That's right. I was quite intrigued to see this. I didn't actually know there was any Zweigelt planted in um, Germany, but here we are, just some small plantings. Württemberg is uh, a region which I think you find quite a bit in Germany, but it's only just really beginning to get an international um, presence. And Jochen Boyer is partly the reason for that. And so he's obviously quite experimental and does things his own way, as an ex-BMX European champion would do. And this Weigelt here is planted on higher elevation vineyards, and it's a little bit lighter and more acidic than an Austrian equivalent. So it's a little bit different, not as fruity. Alcohol is just 12.5%, and it's a crisp, fresh, bright red wine, which can be served slightly chilled and be paired with a whole range of foods. And I know, Katie, you were particularly impressed by this wine. You really liked it.
0: I was, and unfortunately, I did not have it with food. It was just after you finished your tea, and I came home to this wonderful, crisp, fresh, bright red wine. So I just had it slightly chilled, but you had it with food.
1: And that acidity really um, is what makes it pair well with food. So I really enjoyed it.
0: What did you have it with?
1: I actually had it with um, crab cake and salad. And so again, that that acidity was really important. And even though it's a red wine, it paired really well with the, um, the seafood.
0: Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: Join us next week for another wind-up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us.
1: Especially if the reviews are positive.
0: That's right. See you next week.
1: Cheerio!